Well, if you want to turn your Bibles this morning to Proverbs chapter 7, we're going to be beginning a new sermon series this morning that's going to be discover, um, going through some of the Proverbs, and the sermon series is called The Path. And as we go through the book of Proverbs, some of you may be thinking, well, why are we going to focus on Proverbs? And explain why I chose to do a quick series on the book of Proverbs. Let me tell you some of the stories that have happened in the last few weeks at various ERs across our nation. I belong to several social media groups that we compare stories, treatments, just um, everything else of, of how to, to um, help people who come into the ER. And these are some of the situations that have come up recently. A number of young people have shown up to the ER with chest pain after they nebulize hydrogen peroxide. If you don't know what a nebulizer is, it's that thing that you go to the ER if you're having troubles breathing, and they put albuterol usually in it, and it makes a mist, and you breathe it in, and you feel better. People with asthma um, have this all the time. Well, they read somewhere on the internet that if you have COVID or suspect you have COVID, you just nebulize hydrogen peroxide, and it will kill the COVID. The problem is, is hydrogen peroxide is rather toxic to your body. And they end up with pneumonia and just all kinds of different things. And, this, and some of these people are so terrified of COVID, but at the same time, they also refuse a vaccine. So it's just interesting how people are just going online and trying to figure out how not to get it, but won't take the way of not getting it or, or getting really sick from it and, and kind of skipping over that part. Another person suffered severe burns after taking ice and putting it in a fry basket, apparently this is a new challenge online. Y'all remember the ice bucket challenge a few years ago? Did that make it all the way up here? It's when people were raising money for Lou Gehrig's disease and they do all kinds of creative ways of dumping ice on themselves. Well, people have now kicked that up to a new fad of taking a fryer basket, filling it with ice and throwing it into a hot fryer. Now, I don't know if you understand what happens when that, if you do that, but essentially the fryer explodes and throws hot grease everywhere. And the person who did that was suffered severe burns and, um, and is still in the ICU right now. Recently, another person, I believe this is in California, somewhere around Los Angeles, was taking something called the Frogger Challenge. The Frogger Challenge is going out onto a, hot, uh, to a busy interstate, something with five lanes or bigger, and running across the interstate, avoiding the cars as they're whipping by at 65 miles an hour. And they're doing it to be internet sensations. Well, this person didn't make it. Slammed into a semi going 55 miles an hour. Pretty ugly, the pictures of that. And why I'm explaining all this today or telling you these stories is because every single person had one thing in common. They lacked wisdom. Wisdom is seriously lacking in our culture today, and it's reflected by the actions of many in our society. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. I often told my kids growing up that I would define wisdom as learning from other people's mistakes. The Bible is full of people who made huge mistakes, King David probably being one of the biggest, or his son who wrote most of Proverbs being another person who made a lot of big mistakes. 
And we read the, um, about them and we can see how the wrong decision led them down the wrong path and where that path ended up for them. And we're going to study, um, have like kind of a case study of that this morning when we read Romans, or excuse me, not Romans, that was a couple years ago, John, Proverbs chapter 7. Let me open in prayer. Father God, I ask, Lord, that as we get into the book of Proverbs, that you'll help us to appreciate this thing called wisdom, this thing that most people would call common sense, that seems to be very lacking in the world today. Help us to be a people, Father, that cherishes wisdom. And not just the wisdom of man, but the wisdom of God that is seen in the scriptures. Help us to devour that kind of wisdom. Help us to seek that kind of wisdom. For your word says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, and that you will give it to us liberally. So, Father, help us to seek wisdom as we study your word this morning. I ask this in your name. Amen. Now, in Proverbs chapter 1, you don't have to turn there. We're just going to talk about it just for a second. The first few verses are called the prologue to the book of Proverbs, and it's introducing what the book of Proverbs is there for. In ancient Israel, there are three groups of people who communicated on behalf of God. The first and the most commonly seen were the priests, the pastors, if you will. They gave the law. They taught the people the law. They, they made sure people follow the law, the sacrifices, the ceremonies. Everything that had to do with Jewish life was encapsulated in this thing called the Torah or the law of Moses. And it was seen in the, what we would call the first um, five chapters of the Bible. Then you had the prophets. The prophets had a very special relationship with God in that they would hear God speak and then God would speak through them and they would go and give direction to, to prophets, or not prophets, but the priests or the kings or the leaders and tell them what God was wanting them to do at this particular time. And then you would have the sages. They were the wise people. They gave counsel or wisdom. You don't see a lot of that in the Bible, but we do see it in the wisdom literature. And those would be Job, Psalm, Ecclesiastes, and Psalm of Solomon. They're all books by what we would call sages. Solomon would be considered a sage. These are all the wisdom literatures. And when we talk about wisdom, it's not the same thing as just being educated. It's not being just extremely book smart. You could have a thousand PhDs and every every realm you could possibly think of and still be what the Bible calls a fool. Having wisdom, or excuse me, having intelligence or education means that you know things. But having wisdom means that you know what to do in certain situations. You can be smart without being wise. I see that a lot. Wisdom literature was written to make us wise, to help us to know what to do in specific situations. And the book of Proverbs was written by that sage, King Solomon. And the Bible says he's one of the wisest men who ever lived. It says that he spoke 3,000 Proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. He also spoke about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. So in today's 
way of thinking, he would be the guy who has dozens of PhDs from every single Ivy League university. He would be one of the smartest people in the world right now. And he wrote most of the book of Proverbs, except for the last couple chapters who were written by another wise king named Agar. And that's the background of the book of Proverbs. So if you flip forward a few pages in your Bible, we'll be at Proverbs 7. And here is one of the main truths about this series that I want you to understand. And that is the road that you're on right now determines where you end up. Let me say that again. The road you're on right now determines where you'll end up. And that's true, isn't it? It's true both in life, it's true in spirituality, it's true just in our basic living right now. So many of you here drive for a living. So if you, hit, no, if you head north on Highway 53 here, where do you end up? Pigeon Falls, Eau Claire, Coral City. Yes, that giant metropolis of Coral City. If you go south, which way, where are you going to get to? Blair, right? The road you go on, you're going to end up at a specific place. Now, you can want to go somewhere else. Okay, you can pack a beach towel. You can pack a Spanish dictionary. You can get your passport ready and everything else thinking, I am going to go to Cancun, Mexico. But if you turn left up there at... Quick trip, you're not going to end up in Cancun. You're going to end up in Eau Claire. And there's not too many places this time of year that a beach towel is going to be very helpful for you. And it is one of our principles. It's our direction, not our intention, that determines our destination. And just as this is obvious in the, in the world of geography and traveling, it is also obvious when it comes to our lives. And it doesn't matter if it's our family life, our financial life, our marriage life, our dating life, the way we raise our kids, our physical fitness, or our professional life, it all applies to this. Your destination is determined by the direction you go. Yet how many times have you been in a conversation with someone who is describing how something really bad happened in their life. How they just totally shipwrecked their life, their marriage, their faith. Or how their kids grew up rebellious or resentful. And as they're describing what had led up to their failure, you just thought to yourself, well, didn't you see that coming? Didn't you see the road signs, figuratively speaking, as you went down this road that were screaming, warning, 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 you're going the wrong way. Let's take this principle one space further. It is so much a part of life on earth that it trumps or overcomes almost everything else that you've got going for you. You can have the best of intentions and end up in the worst of situations. It doesn't matter who you are or what you are in life. This rule always applies. It's the law of sowing and reaping. And let me show you this from what Solomon showed his audience 3,000 years ago. In Proverbs 7, 6, Solomon is going to tell us a story. We don't know if it's a true story, or if, and this is something that he was sitting in his, his 
palace one day and was watching happen, or if he made it up to just tell us a wise parable. But either way, he is saying he is sitting in a window and looking down and seeing this start to happen. So in Proverbs 7, 6, Solomon saying, At the window of my house I looked through the lattice. I saw among the simple. I noticed among the young man a youth who lacked judgment. He was going down a street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house. At twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. Now you don't have to be a huge scholar to anticipate where this story is heading, do you? You have a man at twilight, at night, heading toward a woman's house. And as we'll see in a second, he knew who this woman was. This man, or young man, knew that she was married. He also knew that her husband was out of town, and she would be, to put it delicately, possibly looking for companionship. And meanwhile, Solomon's back at the window watching this young man. And Solomon knew that there was a marked contrast between what this kid was expecting in this experience and what would be in his future. Why was Solomon able to see this and the youth wasn't? Because he was older. He was wiser. And he understood, probably from personal experience, if you know anything about Solomon, he was a bit of a ladies' man himself. He knew exactly where this was going to end up. But this young man was just preoccupied with what he believed would just be an exciting event. Just one night of passion. A night that is just disconnected. It's, it's not setting him up for anything else than a fun night. Anything, it's just going to be disconnected from everything else in his life. But Solomon, the wiser man, knew better. And this night was not an isolated event. This night was a first step down a path, down a roadway. And this path, like all other paths, lead somewhere. And this particular path has a very predictable destination. As the story continues in verse 10, then came a woman, then came out a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She was loud and defiant, her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she looks. She took hold of him and kissed him with a brazen face and said, I have fellowship offerings here at home. Today I've fulfilled my vows. And when I came out to meet you, I looked for you and I have found you. When this woman said she had fellowship offerings at home, she's like saying, look, I'm not after your money. I'm not asking for payment. I just want you. I want you. She was implying that she'd even been to church already. She'd even gone to church. She had emptied her sin bucket. And now she wants to fill it back up just with him. And the woman continues. She says, I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my body with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink of... Drink deep of love until morning. Let us enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. 
He took his purse filled with money and he will not be home until full moon. And that pretty much clinched it for that boy right there. This is just getting better from his perspective. But Solomon, the wiser man, saw the situation through an entirely different light. Through the light of wisdom. And this is what Solomon thought about it. In verse 21, he says, With persuasive words she led him astray. She seduced him with smooth talk. All at once he followed her. And listen to his description here. Like an ox going to slaughter. Like a deer stepping into a noose until an arrow pierces its liver. Like a bird darting into a snare. Little knowing that it will cost him his life. You know, back when the DNR would let us, it was common to put salt licks or some type of bait right outside your stand or, or your blind. And the deer never looks up. They're always looking at what was right in front of them, what looked good to them, right in front of their nose. And they put their head down and they would sit there and start eating or licking or doing whatever. And all of a sudden, an arrow would pierce their body before they'd even hear the snap of the bowl. And this is where the young man is in this story. Satan is in his tree stand, his arrow pointing, ready to let it loose at the right time. And then these next words are directed to you and me. And take the gender away from it. Take the sex away from it. It's not about male or female. It's not about evil women and good men. It's, it's, it's intermixed. So understand this no matter, no matter what plumbing you have right now. This is meant for everyone here. It said, now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. And there's our word, paths. This was a path this boy was going down, not just the event. It was a road that he chose. Now pay attention to the next observation in verse 26. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Not just a few, but many. Solomon totally debunks the notion that there's anything unique about what this kid was experiencing. It may have been unique for him, but this experience represents a very well-worn path, doesn't it? Many people, male and female, have walked this road. And driving home the point, Solomon added, this house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. He uses the word highway. A highway. Not just a road, not just a walking path, but a highway. He's using the language to indicate this boy is speeding toward per- toward total destruction of his life. He's not only there, he's in the express lane. He is committed to where he is going right now. And the disconnect in Solomon's scenario is easy to see, at least for us, a few thousand years later. You see, this young man wanted his life to be relationally richer. 
and having some fun with this woman. But what he didn't understand is that he chose a path that would ultimately undermine every relationship he has. A young man who yearned for something good chose a path that led to something not so good. A youth striving to prove his independence chooses a well-worn path that had the potential to strip him of his independence. And in Bible times, even his life. The punishment for adultery in Bible times was death. There was a disconnect, and that's what Solomon is seeing from his window. And all of us have seen, all of us have experienced these kind of disconnects in our own life. And if we take our eyes off the 5th century B.C. for a moment and come back here in 2021, we all know that we have the propensity for choosing paths that lead us to where we don't want to go. In a few weeks, we'll talk a little bit more about what causes this lack of reason or this lack of judgment or lack of wisdom. But for now, I want to focus on how this dynamic plays out in our world. I've been saved since 1993 and ministry since 1999. And I've seen this over and over and over again. A young single woman says, I want to go and meet a great Christian guy who's really got his ass act together, but then she dates whoever asks, him out, asks her out, whether he's Christian or not. Whether he wants to actually get to know her or just use her for her body, she goes out with him. Or a single guy says, I want to have a woman, I want to have a great life, a great sex life with my new wife when I'm married, so I'm going to go out and practice with every girl I meet. A married woman says, I want to have a great relationship with my husband. But she prioritizes everything in her household, including the children, over him. A husband says, I want my kids to respect me when they grow up, but then openly flirts with every woman he sees in front of them. A young Christian says, I want to develop a deep and lasting, intimate relationship with God, yet can't spend any time with him because he loves his video games so much. A working man says, I want to grow old and invest my later years in the life of my grandchildren. But he neglects his health. The list can go on and on. But like the naive young man in Solomon's story, the paths that people choose eventually bring them to a destination that's entirely different from the one that they intended. The law of sowing and reaping. It's not rocket science. It shouldn't need someone to connect these dots for us. If your goal is to lose weight, you don't eat your breakfast, lunch, and dinner in a donut shop. If you desire to remain faithful to your spouse, you don't linger in an online chat room with members of the opposite sex. Those aren't pastimes. Those aren't just fun things. They're pathways. And those pathways, if you stay on them, will lead you to places you don't want to go. If you grew up in the 80s and you had to take any sort of computing class, we learned the terms garbage in, garbage out. In other words, if you miss one little line of programming, a comma, a slash, something in that programming language you're writing, your program won't work at all, or it'll spit out the wrong information. Same thing in life. 
If you put garbage into it, you can't expect anything but garbage to come back out of it. You know, and here's the problem. When we talk about 2020 vision, it's always easier to see these issues in other people's lives than it is our own. Right now, you might be thinking about several people who are just like this boy in Solomon's story. You might even be putting names to faces in your mind, but think about your own life for a moment. And let me ask you this, are there any disconnects there? Are there discrepancies between what you desire in your heart and what you're doing in your life? And is there an alignment between your intention and your direction? There's a, there's a saying that says that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It's the decisions and the direction you go that matters. Anybody ever got lost driving? I have. You know, when you're driving and you just have no idea, this is before we had GPS, and you have no idea where we're at, all you have to do is turn around and go back far enough, figure out where you made the wrong turn. In that case, maybe you've lost a few minutes or a few hours during your trip. Problem is that when we get lost in life, very, very difficult to backtrack. Like the old song says, I think it's a Steve Miller band. Time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. Everybody remember that song? It's okay to admit. We never stop to think that time is the most valuable commodity we have. Just because it's here all the time. The thing is, if you were to look back at the clock with the second hand, every tick of that second hand you'll never get back. Every tick will never happen again. There's no reset. There's no control, alt, delete, and start over. There's no redeeming that moment. When we get lost in life, you don't waste just minutes and hours. You can waste an entire season or an entire life by being on that wrong path. And no one wants that. You know, I'm in my 50s now and I don't want to wake up someday and, re and think, man, I wish I would have taken a different path and, and live a life of regret. No one wants to arrive at the end of a marriage and wish they had taken a different path to what messed it up years ago. The path we choose at those critical junctions doesn't just determine our destination for the following year. It can determine our destination for the rest of our lives. And the principle of the path is operating in your life every moment of every day. It matters in your finances. It matters in your relationships. It matters in your morality, your ethics, your entertainment. All these paths have a destination. And that's why God says your life and its destination isn't just about the immediate it's about the ultimate. It's about the destination. And if God isn't your destination for all these paths, if his glory isn't what is driving you down that road, turn around. You're on the wrong road. Two questions I'll ask you today as I prepare to close. 
What direction or path are you on today? Not just in general, but break it down a little. Maybe there's a moral issue that you're struggling with. Maybe it's a relational issue, something with family, friends, or a relationship you're not supposed to have. Maybe it's financial. You're spending stuff on things that wouldn't please God. Those are some of the biggies. We could be here all day probing into many more areas. I can't answer those for you. That's something the Holy Spirit has to touch and, and prick your heart about. The other question is, how do you learn to choose the right path? And for that, I can give you an answer. The Bible tells us, get wisdom. Get wisdom. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask it of God, and he will give it. That's what we're going to be doing in the next several weeks. We're going to be getting wisdom from Solomon and wisdom from the book of Proverbs. Reading Proverbs will increase your wisdom quotient. We've often said there are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, one for every day of the month. Read one chapter a day for the next 31 days. Billy Graham did that his entire life. I think it's, that's pretty good indication of what it can do for you. And number two is make choices based on the long term, not the short term. If you feel overwhelming pressure to do something right now, it's usually the wrong decision. Think about the long term. See your life the way God sees your life, by thinking about it like a path, like a series of steps going in a direction and not just a bunch of unrelated events. Think about what will happen if you eat a brownie every day. What's the next step after you eat the first brownie? You eat the next one. Think about what happens if you are just feeling lazy and don't want to balance your checkbook. Think about being nice to your spouse and not flirtatious with other people. Those are all paths you could walk down. Let's all rise. In your bulletin, I put a picture there of a fork in a road. It was meant to be a little humorous, but that's exactly where many people are today. They're on a fork in a road. Do I go this way, God's way, or do I go this way? Both those paths will lead to a specific destination.